Welcome to episode one of our Pet Parent Virtual Book Club. I'm Bryce. I'm Kenzie. And this is Rachel Fasaro. Rachel, will you just introduce yourself and then we'll kind of do the same, give our audience a little quick synopsis since we're crossing paths here. Yeah, absolutely. So I call myself a professional dog mom and I share pet tips and puppy hacks all about pet nutrition and uh, pet wellness, pet training, uh, specifically for dog moms all over social media. Very cool. Well, and, and we say, we share a very similar approach on social media. A lot of nutrition, uh, not so much training. We always say that's one of our weakest points for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the mental enrichment and, and, and the fresh feeding idea in general. So we kind of got connected, you know, three or four weeks ago and said, hey, <clears throat> you know, we've both read this book. We've both talked about it briefly with our audiences, but never really gone in depth on something like this. And at least for me, I'm most excited that we kind of get to do this with our audience as we go. It's not something that we batch out beforehand and then put it all out and they just get to watch it. It's very interactive. So as Rachel's showing right now, The Forever Dog is the first book that we're reading. Um, Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker are incredible people that wrote this book. Um, and it's at least for me, it was my full introduction into the whole fresh feeding game, which I think a lot of parents share that with me, that this book is really eye-opening. Um, and I think that's probably the reason we wanted to start with it. It's It's been integral in our content, I think, for b both of us, right, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what really stands out for me with The Forever Dog uh, is it's written, as you said, by Rodney and Karen, who have been literally have dedicated the majority of their adulthood uh, to the wellness and longevity of our pets. And mm -hmm. to be able to have it in kind of this hardback or, or uh, paperback form uh, is pretty incredible resource for, for pets all around the world. So it's been a really big inspiration to me. Absolutely. That's really cool. So um, what we're kind of doing here is before we announced all of this we kind of did a little giveaway we had 10 different winners that got the forever dog book but we encourage anyone listening today go pick this up you can get it on amazon local barnes and noble i'm sure local bookstores have it um and read along because this is going to be what did we say a 10-week journey that, that this yeah. book alone at least yeah and this is just the tip of the iceberg in in the literature that we want to get into so we highly encourage you go you follow along with us because we're we're going to do a lot so um, yes. I think to jump right into it, the author's note. So obviously something in the author's note caught my attention. Um, mm. and it's, you know, three fourths of the way down, everything in this book, including claims that may seem outrageous can be backed up by indisputable evidence. And I think that's super important to know going into this book because for us, it was a huge eye opener. It was, um, it was realizations that we'd been doing certain things wrong and certain things away that we'd been taught was right that actually could harm our pets. And, you know, there was there was some shame and like guilt involved with that. But knowing that everything in this book has evidence surrounding it kind of put my mind at, at peace when we were when we were really getting into well, and it. That's definitely like one of the first things I think people are curious about when they find our content is, well, what's your source? Right. Can you provide some sources? So it's really cool that everything that we're going to talk about in this book is backed by a source. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and I think all this of those is a really sources... good. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rachel. <laughs> that, that's okay. I think this is a really good tool. Kenzie brought up a good point uh, for pet parents when you go to your vet. And cause I know a majority of people in my community 
really struggle with their belief system versus maybe what their their veterinarian believes in. And this is, you know, like anytime I go to a new vet or I visit a new town and there's vet clinics, I drop one of these off at the front desk and just hope and pray that they'll that they'll read this. And I've shipped this to vets before um, just anonymously because I think that this uh, could be the start of a new wave of way for veterinarians to think about food, nutrition and health. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love think, that. I think the, you know, holistic way of view is definitely gaining popularity, but it's still not really taught in vet schools. You have, you know, maybe some individual classes, but no big curriculum or centered around holistic health. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great point. Well, I don't know if it's too early to get into this, but what I read, they were saying that the pet industry health-wise is at least 20 years behind the human health industry. Oh, right. So, That's interesting. You know, yeah. I think that, that is really cool that you dropped those off at the vets. You and know, Rachel, yeah. you, you have a human nutrition background. That's correct, right? Yeah. So yeah. my bachelor's degree is in nutrition science for humans. Sure. <laughs> but the similarities are, are undeniable. Um, and it's really just given me a solid foundation to really just be able to understand the research that I'm presented with and to look at it from a more metabolic view. Uh, because like I said before, their what their DNA shares is like 80 to 84% similarity. So, mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that's been really helpful for me and it's, it's been really exciting to be able to take what I learned, uh, with my degree and kind of transfer it over to what I'm most passionate about, which is with your dogs yes that's incredible very cool yeah. well um i have a few more points in the introduction i don't know if you had anything in the introduction that you wanted to talk about um not as much of the introduction part no okay. so i'll let you i'll let you take that sounds great so next page i'm looking at is page uh, it's 13 but it's roman numeral 13 so we're still in the introduction yeah. Um, I'm looking at the bottom section where it starts with studies show dogs can lower our blood pressure, keep us active, reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke, boost our self-esteem, encourage social engagement, force us to be outdoors in nature, and trigger the release of potent chemicals in our body that make us feel safe, connected, mm -hmm. safe, connected, and content. One study even revealed that dog ownership is linked to a 24% re reduced risk of dying from anything. That's something that I really want to stress to people is we, we preach all the time, do this for the benefit of your dog, do that for the benefit of your dog. But what we don't realize mm -hmm. is our dogs do so much for us. I mean, I, you and I go out to eat and literally while we're out to eat, we're like, oh my gosh, can't wait to get back and see the dogs. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'm sure it's the same for you. What's your experience with your dogs and, and providing that serotonin boost? Yeah. I mean, the, the benefit, like for me, my dogs, you know, clearly this is kind of, this is what I do, my livelihood. Right. And my dogs are, um, are my purpose and they are my passion and they have been, you know, since, since I was really young. So I do love, um, living and breathing and learning more about that kind of human dog connection. So I, I completely agree. Like they, I am not complete unless my, my dogs are around hands down. Very cool. Love that. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I have for the introduction. Actually, you. Oh, no, yeah, you're, no, I do have something um, that for some reason I thought it was in chapter one, but it's actually in the introduction and they have it bolded here. I don't know what Roman numeral this is, so you're just going to have to go along with me. No um, but it's really simple and it's eat less, eat fresher and move more often. And, and the author's are basically saying that this is going to be a common theme throughout the book and if if you were to only have one takeaway from this entire book like you're like i don't have the time to read this i don't want to read this 
it would be it would be that um and, and not even just i haven't even read the entire book front to back i've kind of gone through it the past couple year year and a half um but i followed right and, and watched rodney's and, and karen's content for numerous years and that's always been the underlying theme right like eat less eat fresher and move more and more often and i, I what i find so interesting is that's so similar to what is a healthy recipe for you and I as humans. So um, I think that's kind of something that's always in the back of my mind as I'm reading this and studying. Love that. Yeah, I think that's a great motto to live by. And that's one thing that's kind of baffled me since starting this is how uh, normalized eating a fully processed diet as an animal has become. And it just... Well, even as humans too. I mean, really, really, yeah. mm -hmm. And that's why they tell you, you know, stay out of the aisles and shop shop the, what do they say? the perimeter of the store, you know, is, is eat those fresh foods. And like you said, we share 84% of our DNA. So this directly applies to our animals. 100%. Awesome. Okay. What do you got? Shall we jump into the Rachel? chapter one? Yeah, let's get into chapter <laughs> um, one. The modern chapter one. Dog. Yeah. Or and part, so part I'm one. really part, yeah, part one, chapter one. Um, so there were a lot of really cool takeaways from this. I think one of the ones that I, you know, is really interesting to me. It's something that I know I preach, you, you, both of you as well as myself preach a lot in our content, but it's kind of this 80-20 um, rule or 90-10 or rule about uh, adding fresh foods in the bowl. I think the book says something that to the effect of, you know, one of the most powerful um, impacts we can have, one of the most powerful ways that we can impact longevity and what they describe as health span is through food and what we feed our dogs. And this is um, something that is personally important to me. And it tells you in the book, and it talks about the power of swapping out as little as 10% of your dog's kibble, bowl of kibble with real fresh foods. Or even if you wanted to take it one step back and go a little bit simpler, if you feed your dog treats, maybe some milk bone treats or some more processed treats with a lot of low quality ingredients like corn, barley, wheat, flour, sugar molasses by just taking 10% of those treats away and replacing it with something, something that's re like a real fresh food option. Um, what's some of your favorite fresh food option treats that you guys like to feed your dogs? Absolutely. So we've actually been doing a lot of like recipe testing lately, and we just recently bought a dehydrator. And I would say mm -hmm. that might not be the number one most essential tool to have for a pet parent, <laughs> but it's probably the most fun because We've thrown in there, you know, ground beef and green bananas. We love the green banana training treats. Yeah. Um, and, you know, any meat, you could do organ meat. You got to be a little more uh, careful with that because you can't feed too much, obviously. But, yeah. And blueberries. We love blueberries. Right. Giving those to the dogs. And I think it's a great point that if you just don't know where to start, ditch buying the treats in the aisles at Walmart and Petco. I mean, there's some stuff that you might be able to get away with, but... Try to do single ingredient stuff if you can't change the diet at all. I think you hit the nail on the head with that, Rachel. Yeah, absolutely. We recently dehydrated pumpkin. Like we just oh, made wow. like pumpkin sheets. And I, cause we were just like, what do we do? We just bought too much pumpkin. And it was actually, the dogs loved it. And I thought that was really cool and like an easy, like a, almost like pumpkin leather in a sense. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. That's way cool. We've always just done it like frozen if we have extra. So dehydrating, it's not something I've thought about. Fun. Yeah, I didn't either. My husband's like, let's try it. So, but yeah, I think that was, I think that was the, a big takeaway for me from this chapter because it makes it uh, approachable and easy to start making changes because I think the hardest part of 
reading books like this is like how thick this is. This is overwhelming to someone because it's been ingrained in our society that we feed our dogs out of a plastic bag and we scoop and serve. And that's how we feed our dog. Like, that's how we take care of our dogs. The, this idea of feeding them fresh foods, this idea of giving them enrichment, this idea of um, doing these more holistic practices with them is really foreign to probably 96% of pet parents out there. So I love this idea of just look at your dog's bowl, remove a tiny fistful, you know, about 10% of it, and then replacing that with some real whole fresh foods. Like I think the powerful impact of that is immeasurable. Right. Absolutely. And when we say real whole fresh foods, we're not talking you got to go buy your dog or, or cat Wagyu beef or anything, but give them the <laughs> trimmings of, of the, you know, if you have raw meat and you're kind of cutting it up before you're cooking it, give them that. If you have vegetable butts, carrot butts, the leaves of strawberries, I mean, truly the pet food is already made from human scraps, but we can feed human scraps in a much healthier way than the pet industry uses them by just giving them to our dogs unadulterated. Absolutely. And then it's composting, right? It's, it's essentially, it's recycling <laughs> instead of throwing away the scraps, just, yep. just feeding it to them, just feeding it to them. And I, I will say for anybody who's kind of just getting started, because this was something I experienced now that you mentioned all these uh, fresh food options, which I love, is like my recommendation, you guys can share yours, is to go slow when you're at, like if your dog has only ever had kibble uh, or processed treats uh, or even like canned wet food, if you start adding a lot of fresh foods right away, sometimes that could lead to little GI upset. And that's really a, a detoxification. And I bet we could go and do a lot, whole live on that in the future. Um, but uh, what I don't want you to have is a bad experience. If yeah. you're watching this and you start adding fresh foods, I, I, I just posted a, a broccoli recipe video and somebody commented, well, broccoli gives my dog gas. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> um, let's start a little slower, right? Why don't you try steaming the broccoli first, cook it a little bit longer. Um, so starting slow and gradual is usually the best for most dogs, in my opinion. That's a great point too, because yeah. I remember even, you know, four or five months ago, we were sharing about the benefits of adding fresh foods and giving our, we were just giving them like raw vegetables. And that was when I started to learn, especially through our community, that mm -hmm. you really have to blend or uh, cook these vegetables in order for your dog to be able to properly digest them. So they might benefit from a piece of steamed broccoli, but a piece of bra rock bra raw broccoli might cause that <laughs> GI upset that you were talking about. So that's a great point. Yeah. And, and it even can be, and there's different purposes, right? Like, uh, sometimes my mom's, my mom's dog, Wally, sometimes will get, um, uh, like it's, it's kind of gross, but like a little bit of like anal juice, juice, we're, yeah. we're pet parents here, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we'll just throw in a couple, a couple raw carrots just as is, and that bulks it right up. So, he may not be getting a ton of the nutrient micronutrients from it uh, because of his inability to really break down the cell walls, but he's still getting some benefit. So I think that there's some interesting ways we can kind of play with play with our food. Absolutely. Totally. And back to your point about starting slow, I think it's really important to stress because when you feed a dog a highly processed food from birth until death or birth until wherever you're at mm -hmm. now, they do not have a diverse gut microbiome and introducing a wide variety of foods is basically a shock to the system. And like you said, I think pet parents experience that. They get discouraged and they're like, well, kibble's so much easier. They had better poops yeah. and, and, and they don't want to continue on that journey. So if you're watching this and your dog eats the same thing every day and has, start with t the 10% rule, but add one ingredient. See how they do. Maybe do that for a couple days. 
starting the slower you start, the better your experience will be in most cases. Absolutely. So what's, what's one key takeaway that you had from chapter one? What's another one? Oh, that's a great point. So um, I want to talk a little bit about what's in our control and what's not in our control. So when mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, especially when we get on the topic of cancer and providing ingredients that have cancer fighting properties, a lot of people say, you know, blueberries won't cure cancer. It's, it's genetic. And there's some validity to that. No one's claiming blueberries are going to cure cancer. But in, on uh, page seven in the last paragraph, it says, new calculations show that genes account for well under 7% of people's lifespan. That means that the majority of longevity is in your hands and based on, based on your lifestyle choices. Yeah, to piggyback off of that, when we were, I was reading, it says that spouses are more likely to have the same like, lifespan than siblings are. Mm -hmm. because spouses like are doing the same things and so obviously mm -hmm. i mean hopefully spouses aren't like sharing a lot of the same genetic makeup right so <laughs> we've been watching a lot of games i love a lot of games okay. <laughs> i was like i was like you're really approaching this gently i love it I was like, okay that makes sense <laughs> that's great but yeah so that was really relieving to know uh because th they do get into some certain things like I know they were talking about pugs with their selective breeding and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like you're set up for failure right away. Exactly. If it's... you have like a purebred whatever. Right. It, yeah, if you have bad genes, it's not like you're automatically going to be predisposed to all these diseases. You might have a higher chance of them. But like they said, we're looking at maybe around 7% for people. So it's got to be pretty similar for animals. So I think that just stresses, like they say in the book, longevity is in our hands. And another point I want to make is the reason we say some of these foods, and we, I mean us and Rachel and Karen Becker and Roddy Habib, the reason we say a lot of these fresh foods could potentially add years onto your dog's or cat's life is because processed food can potentially take away years from your dog or cat's life. And so it's that switch from something that is natural for them and their body's designed to consume versus something that they have to spend a lot more effort getting nutrients from. Yeah. And then... <laughs> This is kind of piggybacking off of it a little bit out of chapter one, but I think it's pretty relevant because a lot of comments I'll see when we're talking about feeding real fresh foods, whether it's a raw diet or cooked or adding some to the bowl is, well, my neighbor's dog lived to 17 and they ate kibble their entire life. And so I know this is something that somebody will, will bring up. And I think, you know, as we continue on this journey of going through literature like this and sharing our experiences and our beliefs, I don't think that we're ever going to sit here and say like we're anti-kibble and no dog can be healthy in any way shape or form with kibble but i think what we are saying is for that dog that lived to 17 on kibble you know there's a few questions i've asked right like if they had we don't know this for sure but if they had had a fully fresh food diet their entire life like could they have made it to 20 or 21 you know there what's the longest living pit bull i was just seeing on facebook was 22 years old like how wow. how many of us yeah, I think how many of us know a dog that has lived past 22? That's not many of us. Uh, and then and then it's not just, which I know they talk about a little later in the book, but it's not just how long they're living, but how well they're living. Their mm -hmm. lifespan, I think they call it. Health span. And I think that's really, health span, there yeah, you go. You're totally right. And I, and I think that's so important because it's not just age. Like for me personally, I don't, I don't want to get to 90s years old and not be able to take care of myself. I want to still be running and, and lifting things and moving and taking care of myself. So mm -hmm. I think when we're talking about this and you guys both kind of touched on this, it's, it's less about, um, 
it's less about um, I forget where I'm going with that, but it, it's really just less about just feeding one way to get them to, to live as long as possible. It's really how we can help them thrive and optimize the genes that they do have because we can't change those genes. Yeah, we absolutely can't. But I think that's a great point. Um, so I had something on page eight. Do you have anything prior to that? Um, I don't have mine written down by to... pages. So. Oh, God, I'm trying to a little <laughs> uh... bit go in order. Just okay, no, I love it. You're well, very, but... I think you're very methodical, analytical. I like that. So, no, <laughs> that uh, go ahead, go with it. <laughs> um, so, on page eight, uh, we're looking at the bolded sentence Science likely already knows enough about the. Oh, pause. Okay, I had something to say before we get into this that I just remembered. So, yes. I'm seeing a trend in the pet industry, and it's not even necessarily a bad one, but it points to the fact that kibble was beneficial at the point in time that it was created. So when it was created, pet parents were feeding scraps and they were feeding fresh food, which is fantastic, but no one had any idea what, a, what it meant to feed a somewhat balanced kibble. And we're not talking getting down to the, you know, 0.35 ounces here. We're just talking a majority of muscle meat, some organ meat, some bone, things like that. So when the invention of kibble came around, it may have increased that average lifespan because dogs were mostly being fed an unbalanced diet, at least that's my guess. And so feeding a balanced diet resulted in maybe some negative things that we'll get into later, but could have potentially increased lifespan with all the correct nutrients. Now we're at a point where we can teach people at home how to feed real food. And, and it's time to say, okay, we know what a dog needs. Let's try to give them what they need in the most optimal way possible, which is what fresh feeding is, at least in our opinion. Yeah. So yeah, before we got into chapter, or, uh, page eight, I wanted to say that. Page eight. So on page eight, <laughs> bold section, science likely already knows enough about the biology of aging to increase, increase our dog's health span by three to four years. That mm -hmm. to me is astounding because number one, it shows that the industry is not necessarily in it all the time for pets' health. And number two, that small changes we make could literally give, give us half a decade more with our dog potentially. And I don't know about you, but the reason we got into us was just the deathly fear of losing our pets. So I'm pretty much looking for everything I can do to increase that lifespan so I can get as much time. Yeah. A little selfish, but... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, make, call, call it selfish, then I must be the most selfish person in the world because I'm, I'm <laughs> like, like you, I'm, I'm paralyzed by the idea of, of losing, you know, any of my animals. And mm -hmm. um, I think... I think what's also interesting is I, I have to, we'll try to link it below after, remember the actual study, but talking about impact on years, what was it? Dogs that are overweight can have their uh, lifespan, their years alive lessened by two years. Like they can lose two years of their life Simply just by being obesity. overweight. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and think about, think about the number of overweight dogs today. It's almost 60 percent and it's just like humans right and and what contributes to that i would i would i would beg to argue that it's the much of it is the high carb diet that uh and highly processed diets that we're feeding our dogs every single day um mixed with i think that our dogs are also more sedentary today than any other time as well i think that's part of it 
Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, even, even us, we don't get our dogs out as much as we would like to. We'd love for them to be outside half the day if possible, you know, yeah. like, like they Same. would be in the wild, but yeah, they're naturally more sedentary just because they're getting used to our lives and we get a lot of our stimulation sitting on our butts, you know, watching TV and stuff. So Well, and right now I just feel like life is the hustle culture. It's it like is. work as much as you can, yeah. do as much as you can. Like people are working their butts off and they're tired. Yeah, like absolutely. And, and you know, to go and work an eight-hour day and then come home and you have this ball of energy that's ready to do everything with you. It's, it can be tough, you know. So they're definitely more sedentary. Uh, Rachel, I'm going to pass off to you for the next one. Yeah. Well, and it, it's kind of spinning off of that, this next part, where the chapter didn't go too much in depth on what we can do to change our dog's environment yet. Uh, but it does touch on how our you know environment changes uh, can absolutely impact the epigenetics of, of our animals and like turning on those potentially disease-ridden genes. And so I think that's something that we'll get into more. So make sure you click that subscribe button um, or follow button if you're on Instagram. <laughs> and, um, but for me, and, and it talks about this in the chapter, I've really been focused on my stress because I'm a high, kind of high, strong, stressful person, stressed person. I worry about everything. Yeah, so it's something that I notice and some people will argue this, but I absolutely believe that 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 rolls over to my animals and they mm -hmm. feel that and they don't they don't they don't have the context that we do. They don't have the understanding that we do and they don't have the ability to escape it. Um, so wow. when I think of environment, I think of of two ways, the environment that I'm creating in the space around me, my energy, but also the environment within my home. And if they're not getting outside every single day or every other day, it's like, is the air quality in my home good? Am I burning toxic candles? Um, harsh things like that. So yeah. harsh chemicals. Yeah. So those are a lot of things that this chapter really made me, made me think about because all of that impact, I mean, you know, just think about their noses are like what a hundred times more, hundred times stronger than ours. So, right. uh, it's just the environment, both the home that they're in those walls and the space around you, I think are really critical things to uh, consider. Yes, absolutely. And on page 24, there's actually at the very bottom, it says um, there's a study published in 2019 or a, an article in 2019 where they took hair cortisol samples mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. animals and humans and they basically matched. And I, I think a lot of people don't know this, but when you start to develop those feelings, something physiologically changes in you, you know, smell and, and, and a scent for the dog and there, there are people training dogs to pick up on that. They can tell your dog will know when stress levels are becoming elevated well before you do. Mm -hmm. And so we know that stress is a big factor that could decrease longevity in humans. And because dogs are so receptive to our emotions, we have to apply that to them. Yeah. You know, when, when was the last time for anyone watching that you just sat in silence without your phone, without even a book with your dog and just present and, um, doing, you know, body work or T-touch, Tellington touch, or just kind of like light therapeutic massage that you can do at home. These are little things that I even forget to do, but I notice a significant difference in my dogs and their energy when I just take intentional time to just be with them, no expectations on either end. 
Mm -hmm. And if you're a pet parent watching this that's ever had the, you know, the fear of, oh my gosh, like I'm so afraid to lose my dog. I literally was crying in bed last night with this fear. (laughs) Doing those things in the moment, like you're saying, being with them without any stimulation Mm -hmm. and just just trying to send that energy back and forth and be in the moment, that will help you feel better when you have those moments of like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared to lose them. But then you can tell yourself like, I do all these things to like really cherish my time with them and that's all you can do. Well, and think about it, if they can obviously like pick up on our stressed feelings. Like if you take a moment and like, maybe this is a little more woo-woo for some people, but like (laughs) think about it, if they can pick up on that stress, like if you're sitting there intentionally, like just choosing to send them like love and joy and ease, like why can't they pick up on that as well? They absolutely would. I think that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do we, do we want to, do we want to take some questions? I think that's a great idea. I think say today we'll do them from Instagram and we'll kind of try to rotate between the platforms each time just to keep it a little easier. So Instagram, um, what questions do you have about chapter one or any of the concepts that we were talking about today? Also want to let everyone know, regardless of where you're watching or listening to this, there will be the full video version, once we finish the live stream here, available on our YouTube channel. And we're going to alternate each week. So this week it'll be on our YouTube channel, next week it'll be on Rachel's, and I believe I can create a shared playlist that we can share with our audience that has all of them there, regardless of channel. So I'll look into that. Very nice. Maybe no questions. No questions. Everybody got it. Chapter one, oh, we're all good. Oh, well, no. There's a lot of questions in the, the little question box oh, on Instagram. Oh, we were not looking in the right spot. My bad. Oh, there's quite a few. Okay. Sorry about that. So um, you guys pick the first one and then – Sounds great. Through. I'm going to try to pick one that's been about what we're talking about or the first chapter just so we try to stay on topic a little bit. Uh, let's see. Uh, Rachel, this is a good one for you. Do you suggest preventative supplements when dogs are young? Talking about starting with, with new dogs. Yeah. So this is, this is what I, this is what I think about personally, both for myself and my animals, regardless of the age is we can supplement all day long, but if the whole, if the base of the food, if the majority of what they're eating day in, day out is not complete and balanced, is not optimal or what we call, what we call species appropriate or biologically appropriate. And if you're not familiar with that word means, it's basically just foods or ingredients that the dogs um, are designed to digest. Um, if it's not any of those things, then in my opinion, supplementation is pointless. And I, I do think that we're kind of getting in this, we as a, uh, as a community is getting into this uh, pattern of getting really excited about these supplements. Just like if you think about five, 10 years ago, maybe even more than that in the human world, supplements became super popular, multivitamins, things like that. Um, I'm seeing that trend in the pet world of like, take this or give this to your dog and they're gonna have the best skin or or, uh, best coat, coat health. So my answer to that is if you're, I genuinely believe if you're feeding a diverse, balanced species appropriate diet for generally healthy dogs they don't probably need any supplementation um i think that supplementations can be supplements can be nice to have and what they allow pet parents to do in easy way is to add a variety because if you noticed i said it's not necessarily easy for us to be making um different um food bases, you know, maybe turkey one day, duck another day with a different variety of produce to make it uh, complete and balanced. So if 
if you're not able to do that, if your base is going to be the same day in, day out, which is fine, then I think that's when you can add uh, some supplements. And that's going to be based on your dog's specific needs. But yes, even as a puppy, right, some basic ones, raw goat milk, uh, bone broth, goat kefir, um, things like that can be great additives. Some, you know, steam, lightly steamed vegetables uh, could be great additives. What do you guys think? I think it's a great point. And, and beyond, uh, well, you were talking about like adding specifically the probiotics. That's one I always recommend first is because mm -hmm. we kind of, I don't, I don't mean this in an offensive way, but we kind of refer to kibble as dead food. It's just been heated so many times and they have to spray, you know, artificial nutrients and vitamins on it to replace what's been lost. And so adding probiotics, something that's live, living, it's, it's got cultures in it, that can be super beneficial. <clears throat> and in my opinion, it's also super important if you're transitioning because you're trying to get from a non-diverse gut microbiome to a, diver to a diverse gut microbiome and those probiotics are a great bridge to help you get there. All right, let's see what else we got yes. here. Yeah, you can, you can even see it in the questions, the best vitamin, the best supplement. That's, it's interesting to see that trend. Um, and I think it just comes to, from our society, and I'm guilty of this too, and I love supplements, don't get me wrong, but I do sometimes chuckle because sometimes I see these, and I have this, so I'm being hypocritical, but I see these like, you know, baskets full of like, all these different supplements, and I'm like, you know, I, I think sometimes we overcomplicate. I think <laughs> things are, Dr. Dr. Billinghurst says this, that we've, we've, we've gone off the deep end, we've overcomplicated raw feeding, like we need to simplify because it's really not that complicated. So, yeah. and I think uh, did you find a good question? One area that I feel like we kind of perpetuate that could further that narrative that you need to be using supplements is by just using the wrong terminology. So we say a lot, like, here's how to supplement your kibble. We're not saying here's a multivitamin to add to your kibble. We're saying we're supining the kibble with fresh foods. So it kind of yes. depends on what you, you define as supplements. Define multivitamins it? are not going to do much for a dog that's fed one single food. But like we're reading in this book, adding a variety of fresh foods, supplementing with a variety of fresh foods definitely can. Um, I, had, I saw one question. Are holistic foods better? And I think, if you don't mind if I take this one first, I think yeah. it depends. I think uh, holistic is not a term that's regulated in any way. Holistic, at least to my knowledge, just means kind of all-encompassing or like looking at, you know, the entirety of the body rather than just the symptom. So it really depends. Just because something is marketed as holistic doesn't mean they're using well-sourced ingredients, doesn't mean they're using ingredients necessary for uh, the life stage of your dog. So it, it goes beyond just those simple marketing terms. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think, I think holistic is overused at this point. I think all these terms like natural, um, uh, holistic, clean, all it's kind of just over, overdone. And that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing, by the way, for everyone watching, like, that's why we're here because mm -hmm. we, it, we can't, we can't, we can barely even trust the labels anymore. So when you see something that says, oh, this is the natural or the holistic or real, that doesn't really mean a whole bunch. So what we want to do on um, both of our channels and platforms is to help inform you and empower you with the information, resources, and knowledge that you need to be able to uh, make educated decisions, mostly so that you feel confident about what you're feeding. Because I just want to say this also, nobody, period, no matter their degree or training or background, knows exactly the right 
everything for every dog in terms of nutrition, yep. period. There's, it's, it's too new of a science at this point. And so we're all just making a best educated guess. And there's some stuff that we know, right? But generally speaking, there's not a single person on planet earth right now that knows every little thing that every single dog needs. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Although if you're me, it makes me feel a little overwhelmed because I'm like, ugh. Totally. I give up. (laughs) (laughs) But on top of that, there's also no one thing that's good for every single dog. It doesn't matter if it's raw feeding, gently feeding. We'll tell you all the different, you know, types of food that you can feed and different brands and stuff. But every single dog is individual. So one thing that works for us may not work for you. That's why all of this, that's why, Rachel, I think your message of like, uh, turning curious pet parents into informed pet parents is so important because it's up to you, the pet parent, to decide what you're going to feed your dog and what works because it's not going to be the exact same. It's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of, you know, being frustrated. I personally get frustrated like when our dogs don't eat a meal that I've spent a lot of time preparing, but yeah. they just don't like certain things that even our other dog does. So, your dog is an individual. You're going to have to find what works for your situation, but we will try to help you guide you or try to help guide you to that spot. I love how you worded that. Absolutely. Um, and her, Charlie says something in the, in the chat, a holistic approach or product just means approaching health in a way that addresses the underlying issues rather though, rather than treating the symptoms of the underlying problem. Wonderful. That's a great definition. I think that was well said. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, rather than going to the vet and, or even in in the human sense, rather than, you know, taking Tylenol for the headache, it's like, did I drink enough water today? Did I eat Mm -hmm. a decent diet today? So great point. All right, let's see. Got some time for a few more questions here. I find myself trying to chalk every meal full of supplement powders, frequency of them. So it goes back into a little bit of what we're talking about, but I think that regardless of, you know, brands that you hear us recommend or Rachel recommend, try using whole foods first. Those are going to be the most biologically available nutrients. They're going to be the easiest to digest as long as they're prepared the correct way. And they're going to have the least amount of fillers, i.e. no fillers. Because even, you know, some of the treats that we recommend do use some filler ingredients. We recommend them because some of them are, you know, like glucosamine and MSM. A lot of those are are tough to get on their own. But the whole food source is always going to be the best place to start. So I would say start there. Agreed. Agreed. And like we said before, start slow um, and measure, right? Like if you want to get really technical about it, uh, you get a little notepad or something, you can measure changes in your dog, you know, their, their eyes, are they, are they glossier? Is their, is their coat, are they shedding less? Um, are they gaining weight, losing weight, things like that. Great. Um, Michelle's wondering, may I ask why vets are so against raw? Do you want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to speak for vets. Um, I will let them answer that question for you. I think that um, there's a lot of answers to this but this is going to live on YouTube. So my answer will be, I think that there's a lot of, uh, I think it's just, a, a lo- there's a lot of unknowns. And actually what I've had, cause I have a few conventional vets that, that I'm friends with. And one thing they will say is they're, when they hear raw food, they are usually presented with that from a client 
who thinks that that just means taking a raw chicken leg and feeding that, and then that's all the dog is getting. So of course, that's not what we're advocating for. And so I've actually personally been getting away from using the term just raw food, because when I say it, I mean a complete imbalanced human grade raw mm -hmm. food diet, fresh food. Uh, but apparently that's not the case in many cases. So I think there's some negative connotation there because of that. Vets worry that they're not gonna be a complete imbalanced diet. And then two, while I don't personally have concerns about salmonella for myself or my dogs, I wash my hands and prepare surfaces just as if I was making meat for my family or myself. Uh, there have been worries where they've had techs um, that might have immunocompromised systems, person like the human does. And so they do worry a little bit about that. But um, what some people may say also is what they learn in school. The problem with that is um, there's a lot of funding um, in vet schools. Not all, not every, and I'm not saying vets are bought out by any mean. I'm just saying that when you look at some of these nutrition books, uh, and, and Bryce will probably speak to it more than I'm, I try to be gentle, but um, you know, nutrition books that are funded by these big kibble brands. And so for me, I'll leave it at this. When I look at these big conglomerates, these Mars, these Nestle's, these Colgate's, uh, Pomolives that own most of these large kibble brands in their AKA candy companies, I call them the best marketing companies in the world. They're a marketing company that sells kibble. Mm -hmm. That's how I'll put it. I think that's a great way to put it. And, and just to reiterate along with our content too, when we say, you know, well, vets are the only health professionals in the world that recommend a fully processed diet from birth to vet to birth to death. We're not bashing vets because vets are taught this stuff in vet mm -hmm. school. And I, I have a book, uh, I think it's upstairs, Small Animal Clinical Nutrition, which is a common textbook used in vet school. And I went through and looked and it was like 20% of the editors are associated with a pet food company. I think 31 out of the 115 contributors were associated with a pet food company. So it's not we're not saying vets get kickbacks or vets are bought out or vets are on the payroll, even though some of them are. We're saying that Big Kibble has a much farther reach into the health and wellness of our pets than we realize. And that's why we just want to bring attention to that. And I know sometimes, you know, I get really passionate about it and defensive and start doing some vet bashing and I'm, you know, trying to get rid of that. But what we're trying to say is this is an industry that has been heavily influenced by capitalism and these huge conglomerates, like you yes. said, and they are now not only selling the food, but also owning the vet clinics. I compare it to imagine if General Mills or Kellogg owned your local doctor's office. I mean, would you trust anything, especially if they sold food there and said, this is what you should be eating. I wouldn't, I couldn't trust anything they said. And that's, you're totally, fine. that's not a bash on vets. Again, that's a bash on big kibble and, and what they're willing to do to sell their products. So great question. Do, I'll say this. Go watch, come here, Wally, touch. Uh, go watch Dope Sick on, I think it's Netflix. Mm. And that will answer your question. It's no, it's no different. I mean, there's differences, but the plot and how it's set up, that is pet food. And obviously watch um, Pet Fooled on Netflix. Yeah, watch that definitely. first. Pet, pet Fooled, uh, and then watch Dope Sick. It'll blow yeah. your mind. And Pet Fooled um, is 
with it's is it produced by Dr. Karen Becker or she's the host? No. I guess I don't know what the is she not involved no. with that? She is, but she's not she's she's not a I don't think she produced it. It was Got um, it. She, I think she might have been interviewed yeah. or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, this is a great question, Rachel. I want to direct to you because you're kind of the, the puppy master. Is it to take puppies. 10% away from kibble and add in 20% fresh food okay to do with puppies too? And I do want to talk real quick about um, this person asked if we should be taking 10% and adding 20%. The reason you do that is to account for the water weight because dry food is naturally going to be lighter. So you take away 10% of the dry food, add in 20% fresh food. Sorry, now I'll defer to you. Yeah, no, that's a great question and a great point. Um, so the question was, can they do that with puppies? Is that what mm -hmm. the question was? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. So, and people ask me this often. Uh, well, let me, let me actually back up and say, I am not a veterinarian and I'm not giving any recommendations. Always work with a vet with any health medical needs. That said, uh, with Wally, the barking one in the background, uh, we started feeding him a raw fresh food diet at eight weeks old, as soon as my mom brought him home. And for me, any puppy that's weaned, they're getting a fresh food diet. And that, and when I say fresh food, I mean raw meat, complete and balanced raw meat, raw organ, raw crushed bones, some produce for organic produce for micronutrients. I mean, Wally was teething when he was nine weeks old, I would hold um, raw chicken wings. I'd usually freeze them um, and chicken feet and he would just gnaw down with his little puppy teeth and he, and he loved it. So, um, but yeah, if you're feeding, if you're feeding a kibble, I absolutely have no problems with that personally. And I would in fact encourage it because remember, when dogs or puppies, this is the fastest and the most they're going to grow and develop in their entire life. You have very limited time to impact their behavior, their training, as well as their health. Absolutely. That's a great point. And I think the big discrepancy between puppies and adult dogs comes like if you're feeding a fully fresh diet like Rachel does, you, you're making sure that meal is balanced pretty much every day. It doesn't have to be every single meal, yeah. but far more. Uh, it's got to be more frequently balanced than an adult dog's food where you can like kind of balance over the course of the week. Cause like you said, dogs yeah. just need that bulk of nutrients right away for that rapid growth. hundred percent. That's a very good point. Yeah. We don't want it. We don't want to mess, mess with that. Uh, the complete and balanced side of it. Absolutely. Great questions. Well, I think that's going to do it for episode one. I, I absolutely love this and I'm very excited to I continue it. So our next episode will be a week from today on Thursday should be at the same time well, at, that's well, it's, it's Thanksgiving. Oh, whoa. I didn't realize that. So maybe Wednesday. Yeah. We'll maybe do Wednesday yeah. or we might skip a week. We'll talk about it and let everyone know. Okay. We'll, we'll put some information out. Um, but thank you everyone for joining, whether you're listening to the podcast or on YouTube or live we so appreciate you being here and and you are the reason we're doing all of this so we'll you see are. you and don't forget to follow everywhere yes mm -hmm. subscribe follow whatever the things are vote up i think on podcast you can vote whatever all the things are you doing that is is um it it, it it helps other dog, like other dogs and pet parents, because what that does is it helps elevate in the algorithm, right? Um, but what that does is it brings more awareness of this community, and this community might be the only community, some people out there, uh, to be able to connect and learn about this kind of stuff. And it is a very lonely world that we're in, because ninety-six percent of pet parents um, aren't really getting this kind of information. Like it's a real. This is actually a very niche group. So the more you share in your Instagram stories, the more you subscribe, like, leave comments, um, the more that you're helping. 
That's a great point. And if you have a pet parent in your life that's just starting out with a new dog or puppy or whatever it may be, send them the Forever Dog for Christmas. Send them our book club and say, hey, this has really impacted, you know, the health of my dog or if that's the case. And just try and help us spread the word of, of feeding fresh because pets across the world are going to benefit from it if we can reach everyone. So yeah. again, Yay. thank you everyone for watching. We'll see you either next week or the week after. And Rachel, thank you. Appreciate you being on. Yeah, thank you both. I adore you guys. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Oh, bye.